Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast ministry of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today we have a special guest speaker. Wes Nelson is one of the elders at Bethesda Church, and today he is giving a message titled, The Cost of Worship. The passage for today's message is Genesis 22, where we see the story of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. Here's Wes Nelson. It's, you won't find this story in scripture, it's, I, I don't know, maybe a bit apocryphal if you understand that word, if not, look it up, Google it later, but there's the story of, of Abraham and Isaac having a major disagreement, and uh, it all boiled down to a decision that had to be made on the purchase of a new computer, and uh, and of course, Isaac being the tech-savvy son that he was, and Abraham being the old school, uh, I don't understand it, so I don't need it. Uh, let's just buy the cheapest, most basic computer we can find and make do. And Isaac, and no, we need the biggest and the bestest and the fastest and the whateverest. And uh, you know how far I can get with computers based on my description there. But in any case, it, it turned into a knockdown, drag-out fight. And finally, Abraham put his foot down. Isaac, this is the way it is. We're buying this cheap computer. And in a last-ditch effort to convince his father, he says, but Dad, there's not enough memory. We need the extra memory for all we have. It'll never keep up. We'll have to buy seven of these or just one. And Abraham says, Isaac, I've made my decision. Have faith that God will provide the ram. I don't know how many of you are laughing because other people are laughing. Darby, you can ask Jesse if you're not getting that. That joke doesn't translate into Spanish, I found out one time. So We're in Genesis chapter 22 this morning. And if you'd turn there and read with me, Abraham is between 105 and 115 years old when this takes place. Isaac is somewhere between 5 and 15 years old is my guess. If you have a better guess, you can let me know afterwards. I'm not going to argue with you. I'll just say, okay, and I'll change it next time perhaps. So, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, let's just stop here. If you've got the old King James, the word tested isn't in your Bible. It's the word tempted. And maybe when the time that it was written, that was a, the best translation for us today. Tempted wouldn't be the best word. We misunderstand it. But the word tested, as far as I could tell, as I looked and studied through Hebrew via Strong's, uh, there are three words that get translated, three Hebrew words that get translated into the English word tested. And this particular word that was used most literally means to prove up. 
So sometime later, God wanted to prove up Abraham. In the Greek, there's a couple words for test. You know, one is a test hoping you'll fail. Another is a test hoping you'll succeed. And here is one in which God is testing Abraham to prove him up. Not so that God can figure out what Abraham is thinking or what's in Abraham's heart. God already knows. God is proving up Abraham to show Abraham what's in his heart. And at some point in our lives, when we feel that God is testing us, when he's stretching us, sometimes it's to move us away from something, to show us this is how far I need to go, and other times it's to show us, look how far you've come. Think back how you would have responded or what you would have done last year, five years ago, 20 years ago, and look how you're responding now as a means of encouragement. So here... Sometime later, God sets out to prove up Abraham. He says to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, it's not his only son. Ishmael had been born to Hagar some 13 to 20 years previous. But it's his only son with Sarah. It's a son of promise, the son he waited 50 years for God to deliver on. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. What's significant about Moriah? At this point in history, not much except this is where God wants him to go. What you'll discover later in 2 Samuel 24, it's on this exact spot that David purchases a garden or a vineyard in which to make an offering to God. And it's on this exact spot we see in 1 Chronicles 3 verse 1 that Solomon builds the temple. And while it's a seemingly insignificant place right now in the life of Abraham and in history, God knew what he was doing. God had a bigger plan in mind. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. I don't know if God came to him that night, if God spoke to him the day before. He wasn't messing around. Early the next morning, he got up. Now, who's going to sleep anyway? Might as well get up and do something, but to get up early and saddle his donkey and get ready for the journey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham was living in Beersheba. It's in the Gaza Strip. Ever hear that? Well, it's what we call the Gaza Strip today. He's about 50 miles from Jerusalem, where Mount Moriah is. A three-day journey. 
On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He knew the place. God revealed him, this is the place you are to offer your son to me. Verse 5, he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. What's he been told to do? Sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering? What are you going to bring back, Abraham? But notice the faith that he has. The trust he has developed. 55 years in walking and learning to walk with God and to obey God and to worship God. He knows Isaac is the son of promise. He trusts God that this is what he's asked, but I know I'm going to come home with my son. We will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, we don't see any conversation in the first three days of the journey, and I don't know what you'd talk about. I don't know what would be said, but as they start climbing up the last stretch, Isaac begins to smell an egg, or the egg. Like, we're missing something here. I've got the wood, and you've got the fire, and you've got the knife, and... Where's the sacrifice? So he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Okay. Isaac just accepts his dad at his word. And I can only imagine as great the faith that Abraham had. How hard was that answer? How hard was it to just to keep walking? And we can say, well, how could... Abraham even think that this is all right. Remember, he's living in a culture in which child sacrifice would have been an accepted means of worship. It wasn't out of the realm of possibility. It wasn't just completely out there. He'd probably seen his neighbors sacrifice their children to their idols. And the two of them went on together. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now whether Isaac's 5 or 15 or somewhere in between, what 5-year-old kid can't outrun a 100-year-old man? There aren't very many. (laughs) And regardless of how tight that kid has been tied up, 
What 5 to 15-year-old kid can't wiggle himself out of almost everything? And yet, he obviously allowed himself to be tied and laid on the altar, and that's where he laid. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Yeah? Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And once again, God knew the heart of Abraham. God didn't see this and say, oh good, here's a guy I can trust. And I don't know if this is the angel speaking for himself Say, now I know, now the rest of the heavenly host knows. Or if it's for Abraham to show that now you know what you're willing to give up to follow God. But the fear of God, his respect and his obedience had been made clear. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram. Caught by its horns, he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Evidently, among the Israelites, there was a saying, and whether it was cliche or a throwaway phrase or whatever it was, hey, on the mountain, God will take care of it. God will provide And it goes back to the story and he's explaining this is written to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. He's reminding them of their history. For some of them it may be the first time they've seen or heard their history of how they came into being and what God has done throughout the ages. So you know that phrase that you guys use? This is where it got started. Jehovah called that place, the Lord will provide Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All nations on earth will be blessed through your offspring. That is a reference to Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus Christ that we have the opportunity for forgiveness, that we have the opportunity to be made right with God. through Abraham's offspring, that all nations will be blessed. That's why we emphasize missions here. It was never God's plan that it'd just be Abraham's little family. It was God's plan that it'd be Abraham's family blessing the world with what they knew, what they'd been trusted with. 
Now, it's a story. If you've grown up in Sunday school, you've heard it. And you always think of the great faith of Abraham to do this. A couple things to consider. What about Isaac? Because at this point in this kid's life, he does not have a relationship with Yahweh, with Creator God. But he is demonstrating great trust and great faith in whom? His daddy. Abraham is modeling for his son obedience. Like I said earlier, how that kid doesn't wriggle off that pile of sticks and stones a hundred times until he wears out his dad is beyond me. The second thing here, and it's something I never considered, and I don't know how many years ago I heard a Jewish guy talking about this, and he's not a believer, and he was just ta- the significance of the story to him was the fact that God was establishing right up front human sacrifice was not an acceptable means of worship. You don't worship God by marring or destroying his image. The Israelites are going into a land where it's a common practice. And it's one of the reasons God was going to judge those people was for their disregard for human life. And he says, you as human beings, you've been created in my image. And I will not accept worship that mars my image. But three things to consider this week. True worship is costly. Genuine worship is expensive. If you think genuine worship is coming to church and singing, and depending on where you normally, if it's here, you know, five or six songs, the church I grew up in, three songs, two up front, one a little later. If that's your idea of genuine worship, you don't get it. Genuine worship is not even about what we do here on Sunday morning. It's a part of what it is. But genuine worship, true worship is a costly thing. It's expensive. It's a reoccurring theme in Scripture. Whether it be King David in chapter 24 of 2 Samuel. Whether it be throughout Scripture, this is what God wants and demands. If you're going to worship me, this is what I want it to look like. This is how it's supposed to be. Even when they built the temple, there was doorways all the way around. And when you went to worship God in the temple, you were never to leave by the same door you entered. Symbolic of the fact you've come into the presence of God and you're leaving changed. Genuine worship is costly. Genuine worship 
requires complete obedience to the word of God. Genuine worship requires complete obedience to the word of God. Now, Abraham said, all right, God, I'll sacrifice my son. And he gets on the phone and he calls up Hagar and I want to take Ishmael on a trip. That's not complete obedience. If, it, if Abraham had taken along a lamb or a ram or whatever it was, that wasn't complete obedience. And for us to think that we can worship and not pursue a lifestyle of obedience to the word of God, we're deceiving ourselves. To think that we can do whatever we want all week and come here on Sunday morning to worship and make it all right, we're deceiving ourselves. What's that cost? In 1 John, if you would read that this week, there's five chapters, and throughout the book of 1 John, there's a couple of reoccurring themes. One is this. This is how you know you're a child of God. And time and time again, John says, this is how you know. This is how you can be certain this is how you can clear up any, convert, any confusion. Is if your life looks like this. And in 1 John 5 verse 3, it says, If you love God, if you love Jesus, you will obey his commands. And his commands are not a burden. How oftentimes we look at the commands of God at obedience like, oh man, what a drag. I'm going to have to do this. Everyone else gets to do this and I've got to not do this stuff or do do this stuff. Or... Obedience frees us. If you obey me, you'll love me and my commands are not a burden. It requires complete obedience to the word of God. And if you're sitting there thinking, you know what, I, I'm at 99%. I, I can't claim 100 because I'd be deceiving myself and everyone else. But when I find that 1%, I'll get it cut. You haven't read much of the scriptures then. There is so much here. Palmer, have you found anywhere in this book where you have nailing it all the way yet? Not yet. Maybe next year? By the grace of God, right? We cannot exhaust. Because even though we may think we've got it all nailed down, the more we study the word of God, the more it reveals where we come up short. We have to have our nose in this book. We can't obey what we do not know. And we can't use the excuse, I didn't know it, so it doesn't matter. We are still held accountable. True worship requires complete obedience to the word of God. True worship, genuine worship, holds nothing back. It gives our very best to God.
It's another reoccurring theme throughout Scripture. Going back to Genesis chapter 3 with Cain and Abel. And they bring their offerings to God. Abel brings the best of the first of his fields. And Cain brought some, an afterthought. In 2 Samuel 24, King David is at the end of his life and against the direct command of God, he counts the fighting men in Israel to see just how strong his army is. And God comes to him and says, I'm going to judge you and you've got three options on the table. How do you want to take your punishment? And David decides on a three-day plague that will sweep through the land and kill thousands of people. As the angel of death is approaching Jerusalem, David goes out to Mount Moriah, this spot where Abraham and Isaac met God. And he finds the landowner, this garden of this vineyard, and he says, let me buy this from you so I can offer to God a sacrifice to stop this plague. And the landowner says, you're the king, take it. He says, no, 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 let me buy it. He says, you know what? I see what's coming. It's not going to end well for me or my family. Just take it and do what you need to do. And David says, how can I sacrifice to God that which costs me nothing? True worship is costly. You'll see it throughout the Old Testament, but lest you think this is just an Old Testament thought, go to Luke chapter 21. And in Luke chapter 21, Jesus and his disciples are sitting at the temple and they're watching all these people come in and in the temple they had these big boxes. They didn't take an offering like we do. They had these big boxes and as you came in, you'd put your, your offering in the boxes and they're watching these guys with the expensive clothes and the nice camels or whatever it was drive up, ride up, walk up and they're dumping bags of money in the coffers, in the in the the offering boxes and they're just blown away man look at that guy he's really special look at that guy he really knows about worshiping God look at that guy he is so generous and Jesus in the midst of all that guys guys did you just see that oh yeah we've been seeing all of it Jesus look at these guys he says no did you see what that widow woman did uh, no what are you talking about Jesus well that that lady that widow who's just by and she didn't put nothing in, a couple pennies. What are you talking about, Jesus? He says, whoa, stop, you missed it? What did we miss, Jesus? He says, she put in far more than all those other guys. So what are you talking about, Jesus? There was like two pennies. We couldn't even hear, even hear them hit the bottom. He says, no, no, no. She gave far more. Because these other guys came in and they gave out of their abundance. They gave out of their excess. They gave what, well, I don't guess I'll need that this week. They gave after spending all their money on whatever they wanted. Oh, I've got some left over, that's what I'll put in. Whereas this lady, this widow, she gave all that she had. 
That's all she had to live on. She gave far more than those guys. Genuine worship is costly. It holds nothing back. It gives our best to God. Genuine worship waits on God to provide what we need most. Genuine worship waits on God to provide what we need most. What did Abraham need most? He needed a lamb or he needed something to take the place of Isaac. How long did he wait? Right up to the last minute with the knife above his son's chest. Genuine worship waits on God to provide what we need most. It doesn't run headlong and say, okay, God, this is what I want, this is what I think I need, so this is what I'm going to pursue. Well, God is pulling back on the reins, so to speak, say, whoa, 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 trust me with what you need most. Wait on me to provide what you need most. Over the past several years, Every time I come across the word wait or the idea of waiting on God, I've written it down on a back page here in my Bible, and it's not an exhaustive list, but here's just some of the references. Proverbs 20, 22, Psalm 27, 13 and 14, Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, Psalm 33, verse 20, Psalm 40, verse 1, Isaiah 30, Verse 18, Acts 1.4, Romans 8.23, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Titus 2.13, Romans 8.19. My favorite is Lamentations 3.26. It is good to wait quietly on the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7 and 34, 1 Samuel 10.8, Isaiah 64.4. Wait on God to provide what we need most. What we need most isn't what we always want right now. Abraham was offering the best that he had to God. Of all his holdings and all his cash and all his stuff, he would have given it all up in an instant for the life of his son, his only son Isaac, the son he loved, the son of promise, the son he'd waited on God to bring and supply and to provide for 50 years. Genuine worship is something we learn as we walk with God. And as you see the life of Abraham, we see this, like, oh man, I could never get there. Remember, he's 55 years in. At 50 years old, when he is called out of Ur, the Chaldees, when he was worshiping idols, he was not a guy to sacrifice his very best 
He was not a guy that would wait on God to provide what he needed most. He was not a guy that was real high on complete obedience. But he was learning it and God was proving him up to show him, this is how far you've come. One closing thought. I can't remember, 15 years ago maybe, the church that uh, I was a part of in Omaha, our pastor did a six-month series on worship from selected passages in the book of Psalms. And I was the most unexcited guy in that whole church. Like, are you serious? And I can't remember what came before it. I don't remember the series that came after it, but I just remember thinking, this is going to be a drag, Pastor Steve. And for the entire series, I showed up with a bad attitude. It's like, just go ahead, Steve, teach me something. And the last message of that series, the last statement that he made, I remember nothing else. (laughs) But I remember this. He says, you will never worship publicly, corporately, with a group of believers if you never worship by yourself. You don't learn to worship corporately if you don't learn to worship by yourself. You got me. It changed what I thought of worship. It changed my definition of true worship. And until we learn to get our nose in this book and worship God for who he is when nobody's around and when nobody's watching, until we learn to pray and praise and honor God for who he is by ourselves, there's no way we'll ever feel the freedom in a group of people to do that. Genuine worship is costly. It costs us time as we learn to do it. It costs us our ambitions and our hopes and our goals as we learn to pursue the goals and hopes and ambition God has for us. Genuine worship comes with a cost. Are you willing to pay it to know God and experience Him? Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.